You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, my name is Stephen Ward. I'm a pastor from our site in Spokane. And it's a privilege to get to kind of open up a series for you. Uh, we're entering into this kind of summer session of what we're going to be talking about in our community series. And so we're looking at the red letters or exploring the words of Jesus. How do Jesus' words impact us? Why should we be looking at his words, the meaning behind them? How does he, what does he even refer to in himself? How should that impact how we view culture around us and even interact with the culture around us? Um, what, what kind of was the power behind Jesus' words? Um, even to individuals and the culture that he lived in during the day. How did it impact those followers of Jesus in the early century church? And so throughout the summer, we're going to be looking into all of those different aspects of the impact of Jesus' words. Today, though, I wanted to start with the big idea, laying a foundation for why do Jesus' words even matter? Why should we look at Jesus' words today? And so, but to kind of start that, I wanted to just first back up and say, do words really matter? Do words impact us? You know, you've, you've always got that young kind of, I don't know, sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that really true? And do words really impact us? Is that just a deflection uh, to try and minimize other people's words? Uh, do other people's words impact my identity, impact what I believe, and maybe even convictions? And do, do words have the ability to shape my view of the world around me and how I should Im- interact with others and even how I view others? And so we're going to first look at, do words matter? And so first, we process a vast amount of words every day. I was looking at a study and I was, I don't know, I, I just un, way underestimated the amount of words that we do process in a day. A New York Times article, uh, it's called The American Diet, 34 Gigabytes a Day by writer Nick Bilton, highlights uh, this report from the University of California on how much information we digest on a daily basis. Bilden points out the average American consumes 34 gigabytes of content or over 100,000 words of information every day. Now, this was back, this study was back in 2009, and we have vastly upped the amount of technology intake we have on a daily basis. So I, I don't know if we'd say that's got to be doubled. I, I searched and couldn't find another study, but we know that that has drastically increased the amount of information or words that we intake and process on a daily basis. Back in 2009, over 100,000 words a day. Now, and I would also say... Um, these words have a great impact on us. Not only is it impactful just from the vast volume of words that we're digesting on a daily basis, but I would say the impact of those words. In other words, how do they change us in in any profound way? Well, science has confirmed that tremendous power of words on ourselves, communities, and the world around us. We know that, but this study I was looking at definitely proves this. 
And you don't even need to go to science these days to know the power of words. There is literally for the past over two years, a war of words that impact or that come from our culture, that impact our culture, that impact the way others view us, that impact the way we view others. Um, our worlds can get us canceled, can get us fired, can get you uh, kicked off Twitter. If you even use Twitter, I mean, words have power. They can shape someone's view of you within seconds now. Maybe Maybe they did even before the past couple years, but I would say the past couple years, you are known, you are put in a box by a very select few words you could use and not even have any idea that's happening very, very quickly. So words have become way more significant, way more powerful, and I would say way more impactful in the culture that we live today. But go back to this, this there was an NPR interview over or that interviewed Sharon Begley, a scientist and writer, it revealed findings of a neuroplasticity study that suggests the way that we think can not only change the structure of our brains, let that think, let that sink in just for a second, that suggests what we think or the way we think can change the structure of our brains, but even lead to the regrowth of brain cells. In other words, the words we hear and how we process them impact our, our brain structure and even the potential regrowth of brain cells. She stated that the words we hear and speak not only reflect, but shape our thoughts and our thoughts can actually impact the physical structure of our brain. Crazy impact that words can have even just in the physiological state of our brain. She also stated that language provides the rails on which thoughts ride. The words we hear and use and how we use them matter immensely because they shape the way we perceive the world and participate within it. Again, you don't have to look very far these days on social media, flip on the news to know words have the power to unite. And I would say over the past couple of years, past couple of years, we've seen words have the ability to be divisive and divide in ways maybe we have never seen before, at least in my lifetime. And so I think we, we know this on a lot of levels, but maybe even over the past couple of years, we've seen cities divide, cities be moved to even, um, Man, burning of things, uh, violence by words, by words that are stated or words that are printed or words we read have the power to elicit incredible emotion. So obviously words matter, but why should Jesus' words matter? And more significantly, why should Jesus' words matter to me, to you? How should they impact our life in, in any way, shape, or form? So we're going to look at a passage today, John 14, 6 through 10, to kind of begin the answer to that question. Why should Jesus' words matter? John is the fourth book of the New Testament and the fourth gospel. And the reason that's significant is because the first four books of the Bible, referred to as the gospels, are the primary place we go to to find the words of Jesus. And so again, we're going to look start verse uh, chapter 14, John 14, starting with verse six, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. 
no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father that we, that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I speak. I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. So how does this passage kind of impact or um, inform the way we view Jesus' words? Well, first, Jesus' words matter because of who he is and whose authority he speaks. So Jesus' words matter because of who he is and, because, and by whose authority he speaks. So b- back in verse 6, we see Jesus answered, I am. Now, in just our normal English, American English way, we would read this, that those words, I am, don't stand out at all. I mean, we would just read right by that and say, there's way more impactful words in, in this, these paragraphs than I am. But for an early century Christian, an early century Jew, whether they're a follower of Jesus or not, those words stand out. Why do those words stand out? Because they are referenced in the Old Testament where God, the one true God of the Israelites, of the Jews, reveals his name to Moses. Moses has, the Jews are in captivity and the Egypt, under the Egyptians, Moses escapes, runs away. And God is calling Moses to go set his people free. And Moses' question to God is, who should I tell them is sending me? And God's answer is, tell my people that I am has sent you. In other words, that's the name that the God of the Israelites, the one true God, the God of the Old Testament, gave of himself to Moses. I am is sending you. There are several statements throughout the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, where Jesus makes reference to himself with this title or with this name, I am. And so at the very beginning and even throughout these paragraphs, Jesus refers to himself at the very beginning with this I am statement. I am. Any, any Jew who had any knowledge of the Old Testament, the history of the Jews, would have understood Jesus is applying an Old Testament title of God to himself. This would have made them incredibly angry. Um, how, so we see that first uh, referenced in Exodus 3.14. I forgot to give you that reference. So that's incredibly important for who is Jesus, who is he claiming to be, and why would his words be significant. But he goes on and even further describes this relationship as God. In verse 7, he says, if you really know me, you will know my Father. In other words, if you know me, you will know the Father. We, these are beginning to reference the Trinity God. He referenced the Old Testament God, one God of the Jews. Now there's this New Testament understanding of the Trinity where you have God the Father, God the Spirit, and God, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son, but he's claiming equality with God the Father. We see this. If you know me, 
you know the Father. He goes on in verse 10. But don't believe that I um, show us the Father. Don't you believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Again, this idea of equality with the Father. We are one as God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one God in three distinct persons, but they are equal in power, authority, characteristics of God. He is claiming to be God equal to the Father. Man, absolutely would elicit strong emotion, especially from those who don't believe Jesus is God. How do we know this? We, we can go look at uh, John 10, uh, 30 through 33 and see this. Uh, John 10, 30 says, I and the Father are one. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? Jesus is claiming that he and the Father are one. Equality. Verse 31, again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Verse 33 shows they understand what Jesus is claiming. They don't believe it, but they understand it. We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. By Jesus claiming to be one with the Father, Jesus' opponents understood Jesus was claiming to be God. Why are Jesus' words important? Because they are God's words. Jesus is claiming to be God and therefore claiming the equality with God the Father. So if you want to know God the Father, you know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know God the Father. And if you hear Jesus' words, you are hearing the Father's words. He goes even more explicitly to kind of go on and share that in verse 10. He says, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me. In other words, my words carry the authority of God the Father because I am God. So because I am God and God the Father and I are one, we are co-equals as God. My authority of my, the authority of my words aren't just simply mine. They are shared as the authority of God. And therefore, God's, the Father's authority is speaking through me. The words of Jesus are the very words of God and carry immense authority. Do they carry authority in my life? Do they carry authority in your life? Do they govern how we view God, how we view ourselves, how we view what it means to follow God? Do, do, do God's words really hold that much authority in our lives these days? Or do they only carry a little bit of authority on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday, really we govern our, our the authority for our lives? Do we really view Jesus' words as authoritative? Uh, I grew up with, uh, there were three of us boys in ten, rural Tennessee. And man, we, we had just acres of land around us, uh, farms above us and a river below us and could just roam free. And it was great and it was awesome. But every now and then, uh, my parents would send a messenger to come retrieve one of us uh, that were out in the woods, playing, uh, building forts, whatever. And this one day, Brian, my older brother, went out and said, um, you need to come home. And my first response is, I don't want to come home. And 
I don't need to listen to you. You're not my parent. Well, that, those words, I, I kind of, because, probably because he was my older brother, even would have bristled immediately more than if it had been my younger brother. I was the middle. And I might have been a little more receptive to my younger brother just because of that sibling rivalry or whatever. But I was like, your words don't carry any authority in my life. I don't need to listen to you. And therefore, just I'm going to go on and play and spend my time out here in the woods. Well, that changed when he said, Dad said, you need to come home. Well, those words drastically changed how I perceived what authority was actually uh, calling me to, to obey, calling me back to something. And so it, it's, it's interesting as we go through our lives, if we hear something and we don't perceive that as a, authoritative in our life, then we just go on with our life. But all of a sudden, if something changes and those words we now attach to someone who we do perceive as authority in our life, whoa, okay, now I know there are consequences to not following these words. Now I know this is authoritative. This carries impact. This means there could be real, real things, consequences that could happen to me if I don't follow these words. And so I, I wonder, like, who carries that most weight in your life? Who is that authoritative voice in your life? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a, a, a significant person who's been a mentor in your life. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just an influential person that you follow and they carry clout in your life. But who holds that ultimate authority in your life? Is it yourself? Is it someone else? Is it culture that dictates what's right and wrong? Or does God's words through Jesus, are they really authoritative in your life? Does it carry weight? Like, oh, that's Jesus' words. That should mean something more significantly than my brother's words or, or a friend's words or culture's words. When, when I see Jesus' words, does it go, does it register as, wow, I need to listen to this. This, is, this carries weight. Or does something else in your life carry more weight than Jesus' words? I think it's something worth asking yourself, reflecting on. Jesus' words are important because they're the very words of God and they should carry the authority in our life because they carry the authority of God. Um, there are other reasons, though, that we should... Uh, listen to Jesus' words. So what are other reasons why Jesus' words matter or should matter in my life? Well, he goes on. He says, I am the way um, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we know that he is claiming to be God. And um, because he's the, these I am statements and he goes on to, to claim equality with God the Father. And so we know that's words that Jesus stated, but, but he says a couple things in that statement there. I am the way and no one comes to the father except through me that I think are significantly tied together. And again, should carry weight. If we, be, if we really believe these words of Jesus are from Jesus, who is God. So Jesus answered, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus claims to be the way what is the, the way to? Well, this, this, my, my son loves everything Marvel and 
you know, oh, now I'm even just drawing a blank on the, uh, the reference, but uh, the, there, this is the way. It is one of, one of his Marvel uh, shows that he watches. Um, and so what, what does it mean to, to say, I am the way? I am the way to some general moral way to live your life? I am the way for you to understand how to be a good person in the culture you live in today? I, I am the way to help you um, know how to treat other people around you. He says, I am the way. Now, there's a couple other passages that can help us interpret that. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, what is Jesus the way to? He is the way to show us how to have a relationship with God and attain or have, receive, it'd be a better way of saying it, eternal life. Not attain, we can't work for it. It isn't, it isn't good works that allows us to receive this eternal life or a relationship with God. It is something that we get through Jesus alone. Get that. God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, that's Jesus. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now that believe in him isn't just head knowledge. It is believing the right facts of who Jesus is, that he's God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, and that he freely, uh, that he offers this by, through mercy and grace, this forgiveness of your sins and, and ushers in your ability to literally be viewed by God as paid in full for all of your sin. Like God views you through the death of Jesus Christ and that all of your sin is paid for because of Jesus' death on that cross and you're welcomed as God's child. That's the way. The way that Jesus is sharing here, his words, I am the way, means that the only way you have a relationship with God are adopted into his family as his child, have your sins forgiven, the way is through me, Jesus, through me as God, your representation, my death and resurrection from the cross, that I paid for your sin and that you are believing with your head that those things are true and believing with your heart, which simply just means faith or I'm fully trusting in you, Jesus, for that uh, salvation of my life. In other words, I believe that nothing, I can't attain it through good works. It's not about religion. It's not about any other thing that I can do or anyone else can do for me. Only Jesus is the way to God. I am the way is that Jesus is saying, I am your only way to a relationship with God and eventual eternal life, both now and forever. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that is real? And he even goes further because it's tied to, I am the way, but he also says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So now we're getting a little sticky. This sounds very, um, this, this, this doesn't sound really culturally acceptable to say today, to say there's one way. Jesus is saying, I am the way. And now we see a, a more narrow bracket around that that says, I'm the only way. No one comes to the Father. In other words, no one can have a relationship with God except through me. That's it. I'm the only way. So when we, when we live in a culture today where any statement that sounds exclusive is 
seen immediately as racist or you're a bigot or you're, how dare you exclude anybody from anything? This sounds pretty controversial. So Jesus' words are powerful, but also pretty controversial here in the culture we live in today. So it might elicit some strong response, like how could, how could Jesus say that? How could Jesus exclude all these other um, people who believe incredibly sincerely in another way? And so how should these words impact me? Am I trusting in anything else other than Jesus alone for eternal life? I think that's a question we have to ask. I mean, man, if these are Jesus' words and he's God and is speaking authoritatively as God, and he says, I'm the only way to God. It's only through me, no other way. Are you for sure? Are you sure in your life that you have actually put your trust only in Jesus? That you're counting on that for your relationship with God and eternal life. And then second, am I urgently praying for and sharing this truth with anyone around me? In other words, how does this truth, how should this truth impact my view of other people around me? Do I really, do I really believe this is true? Or do I somehow live my life like, I, I believe that statement up here, but with my heart, I believe really that God will just be a God of universalism and that one day everyone's just going to somehow make it to heaven, even though they don't put their trust in Jesus. I think the, it begs the question, do we really believe that statement is from Jesus and that it carries weight because he's God and that carries weight because they're authoritative words from God when he says, I'm the way and I'm the only way to God. He goes on and says, I'm the truth. Now, again, we live in a world where truth is absolutely relative. Well, that's good for you, but this is what I believe. And so we can hold absolutely competing truths and say we should be cool with that. And all of that should be embraced. Um, now, that's maybe less today because some things that are embraced and used to be held as equal now uh, find you in hot water and you could be canceled for. But... Um, what, what can be said is, well, that's fine for you, but this is what I'm going to hold to as my belief. Can that really be true? Jesus, who is God, who speaks authoritatively as God, said, I am the truth. In other words, as God, I birthed the universe. I birthed everything into existence, including us. And I, have, I am the source, is what he's claiming, for everything that is true. Everything that is truth originates from me. Now, what I'm not saying is the, the Bible is a science book and the answers all of the greatest scientific questions or a math book. But what I am saying is, it, are you using Jesus' words as a filter by which you're looking at everything else? They may not have all the intricate, detailed points for how we get to some of the greatest things in science or math or other things in life, and they don't reference a computer. So we could say, well, we should just dismiss it all because we're living in a super advanced culture. But if truth is still found and originated and found its start from Jesus, shouldn't he be the filter by which we view everything else around us and the measuring stick for what we would say, does this contradict anything that Jesus said? Is what I believe and what is becoming a conviction, does it contradict anything that Jesus stated? 
that Jesus as God, authoritatively stated as God and should carry weight in my life, do I believe something that contradicts Jesus' words? I, man, if so, I think we as who claim to be followers of Jesus need to seriously go back and say, what if, if Jesus is my ultimate source of truth, what is? What am I leaning into? Is culture dictating that? Is someone I hold in high esteem dictating that? Is someone else that has a more authoritative place in my life dictating what I believe is true? What is your source for truth? What and how are you deriving your beliefs and your convictions in your life? And would they contradict Jesus' words? I I just think we have to look at that. Um, Had a real conversation with a parent. Super difficult conversation with a parent who came to me and had this real dilemma. Her child grew up. She taught her child to trust and believe in Jesus. Her child did not follow that, began to embrace an alternative uh, religion and embraced that, believed it, convicted, uh, had those convictions that this was the real truth. And she was struggling with the idea that, well, if God is really a loving God, then he wouldn't judge my child, right? If God's really a loving child, then he'll accept everyone eventually, right? And so if I don't have my convictions founded in Jesus' words that he is my ultimate truth, I will maybe even allow my emotion to begin to influence what I believe that could eventually work its way out into a conviction in my life. I need to form my convictions around Jesus' words, that they are true, before emotion or other things begin to really come in and batter me to shake what I really believe and hold as truth. He goes on and says, I am the life. Through him, he says, all things were made. This is John 1, 4. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, this is refer- the whole chapter is referencing Jesus. In him was life and the life was a light to all mankind. It says through him, all things were made. Literally through Jesus at the beginning of the world as a part of the Godhead, as God, Jesus was a part of speaking everything into existence. And so he gave life to everything, including you and me. Literally physical life. Jesus ushers in life sustains life as God. But he doesn't just sustain literal life. He goes on and he is also life for us in a different meaning. Verse 10 of John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, Jesus doesn't only birth life and sustain life in this world that we live in, for you and for me, but he also offers a full life. Now, what does that mean to have a full life? Um, I think if you asked different people what a full life might mean, it might sound very different. Like a full life means I'm content, I'm happy, I have all of my priorities of what I think my life should look like met. And that might look like stages of, I should be married. I should have kids. I should have a successful job. I, should, uh, I, sh- I shouldn't be in suffering or pain. That's what a full life should look like. For others, it might mean that, you know what? I, 
I have all my hobbies and things that that makes me happy and that's a full life. For, for others, it, it may mean something completely different. And for what Jesus is sharing, it has to mean something totally different. Otherwise, almost all of the early followers of Jesus definitely did not have a full life because most of them were persecuted, beaten, whipped, jailed, stoned, crucified, and killed for following Jesus. So if having a full life means the first description I gave, most of the early church did not have a full life. And so it must mean something different. So I, I um, have did a whole lot of counseling, like biblical counseling back in, in a church in Arkansas. And this man comes into my office and we're sitting there and he has this perspective of what it means to for God to give him a full life. And uh, he said, you know what? My wife is making me absolutely miserable. I mean, miserable. I, I, I want to leave her. I've, I've already left her, but I want to divorce her because, man, there's this woman at work and she gets me and she speaks words to me that make me feel significant and happy. And since God wants me to be happy, since that's in the Bible, God wants me to be happy, which it isn't, but maybe he's referring to this. God wants me to have a full life and, God, and those are Jesus' words, then Jesus would want me to divorce my wife and be with this woman. And so I, you'd be amazed how often I had things like that come to me. But it begins to say, are Jesus' words significant? And what does Jesus mean by this full life? Does Jesus want me to be happy? Does this, what does this full life really give me? And if my, if my current wife is making me miserable or my current husband is making me miserable, can I just ditch them and find someone who makes me happy and have a full life? And so when we, when we look at this, what it really is meaning is Jesus is offering significance. He's offering meaning. He's offering purpose. He's offering joy. And none of those are dependent on your circumstances or who you're married to or how your kids turn out. None of those are dependent on your job situation and whether you like your boss or your coworkers. None of those are dependent on whether you're poor or you're rich or whether you're in pain uh, or whether you never have any pain. What those are dependent on are, are you finding all of those things through a relationship with Jesus first and foremost. In other words, am I looking for my wife to meet all those things in my life? Or am I looking for Jesus to meet all those things in my life? If I'm looking at Jesus to meet all those things in my life, then I've not put this massive expectation on my wife that she could never live up to. And so if I'm looking for other things to fill what should only be found in Jesus for a full life, then I'm always going to be uh, found. It's, it's never going to fill that up. And I'm always going to be chasing for something else for that full life. So Jesus, again, said, I am the life. It isn't found in any other person. It isn't found in a career. It isn't found in whether you, are, you have a disease or you, you never have pain. It is found in me, he's claiming. Are you finding your purpose and your meaning and your fulfillment, your full life in Jesus alone? Or are you looking for something other than him? So, words, do Jesus' words really matter? 
And I, I hope you could now answer yes, resoundingly, yes, they matter. If they're God's words, if Jesus is God and they carry the authority of God, and Jesus is claiming to be God, equal to the Father. Not only that, but he's claiming, you know, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way for you to have a relationship with God and eternal life. I am where truth originates. And so if you're looking for truth in any other way that would contradict me or my words, it's not truth. And I am the way to have a full life. It's found in a relationship with me, nothing else. Do Jesus' words matter? Yes. They matter. The question is, do they matter enough to you to actually have them become your authoritative filter in your life? Or do you allow all the other noise, all the other words, those hundreds of thousands of words every day to actually create your worldview, your significance, your identity, what you think about yourself and others? Do you allow other people's words or Jesus' words to carry the most preeminent weight in your life? I, I think we need to ask those questions and we'll have a chance throughout the rest of this series to really get into all the nitty gritty of Jesus' words and how they impacted individuals and culture and the early Christians and literally raising people from the dead to casting out demons, Jesus' words to, to calming storms. Jesus' words carried power, weight, mercy, grace, life. And we're going to have a chance to embrace those through the rest of this series. I want to leave you with just a few questions today that hopefully this week you can really chew on. And so they're going to be on the screen. Whose words seem to carry the most weight in my life? I th just ponder that. Jesus' words? My words? Someone else's words? Culture's words? What I read on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or what I see on the news, whose words carry the most weight? How are Jesus' words shaping my beliefs and convictions? Or is something else shaping your beliefs and convictions? Do I really believe that Jesus is the only way to God? And how does that impact how I relate to others, how I see the people I go to work with or I live beside, or that they're my family members? Do I look more to Jesus or other things to create my full life? Man, these are, these are words that are worth really debating and chewing on and, and contemplating over the next week because they, they really create our identity, what we view of ourselves and the world we live in and other people and how we interact with our world. Words have power. <laughs> They can literally change our mind. They can impact and form our beliefs and our convictions. And Jesus' words should be held as that preeminent place of authority and influence and impact in our life. Are they in yours? Let's pray. God, thank you for the ability to be able to see your words. Man, that we can have confidence that we can read the Gospels and see the words of Jesus, the words of God the creator of the universe, and, and it reveals how you love us. It reveals how you desire to relate to us. It reveals how we are to follow you. It reveals how you interact with culture. It reveals how we should interact with culture. We see your power through your words. God, I pray that your words have more influence and power in our life than other things and other words. Help us to lean into your words as 
authoritative and impactful this week. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.